Four or five years ago, I realized that I can't learn anything from business books. Because by the time an editor's gone through them and taken out all the juicy stories, they don't work for me. There's an audience for me. It's just not me. I'm not your target market. I go to events and I meet people like you, Andrew. And I'm like, you're my people who, when you have a lift experience, will share it with me. And that lift experience is worth 10 times to me a chapter of a book. Someone who we both know, uh, Ben Crow, and he shared a statement with me the other week, and he's like, some people think the opposite of play is work, and it's not. The opposite of play is fear. And it hit me, hit me really hard, really hard. Because I think the best thing that worked was um, the, the fact that we did non-traditional topics. The dance, you're, you're with the dance, right? This, the the pre-rehearsed, these are the five questions I'm going to ask them anyway. I, I'm asleep by question three, right? Versus the, hang on, I want to pick up on something you said there. We, we didn't even talk about the future of work. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Hi, it's Andrew, and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. This week, we're diving into the future and not through crystal balls or late night hotline psychics, but through the eyes of work futurist Dom Price. Dom is Atlassian's resident work futurist. His experience across the fields of technology, finance and gaming, as well as extensive travel through over 50 countries, has informed a unique, and I've got to say, getting to know this man researching, I've seen him <laughs> speak a few times. It is a unique perspective on the future of work, valuing interconnectedness and a people's approach. Dom's TEDx talk, it's done okay. He spoke about how to rediscover a happier, more purpose-driven and less productivity-obsessed life. It's had over 3.3 million views. Together with his partner, Rebecca, they have twin boys, Frankie and Cooper. Today, we'll explore Dom's unique take on the future of work, responsible tech principles. I'm going to put him on the spot. I want to ask the five essential attributes to being a corporate super performer and navigating the chaos of parenthood. And we might even talk a little bit to middle-aged white guys talking about intimacy. Don Price, welcome to the podcast. Mate, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. You're prolific. You're prolific on podcast and social media and you travel around the world. So I thought rather than digging up information and talking about the same things, the same questions and you press play, I thought I'd go to three people. Love that. Dial it up a bit. Three people that know you. The first one is futurist Ben Heimer. And I said, so tell me about Dom. He said, I want to be him. Love him. <laughs> <laughs> and we had Benny on the podcast as well. I used to work with Ben at KPMG. He's a great lad. You've inspired him to go and choose a career that didn't exist when he was at school, didn't probably even exist a few years ago. So the first one was Ben. Uh, the next one was Amantha Imber. Wonderful yeah, Amantha Imber. Superhuman. At the end of an interview with Amantha, which is coming up early next year on Performance Intelligence, I said, look, you've done hundreds of podcasts, Amantha. This is like asking someone with kids. Like if I ask you, okay, who's your favorite, mate? Frankie or Cooper? Probably yeah. depends on who shit their pants the most it before depends, you leave Depends on the morning. mood. Depends on yeah. the day. But you can't ask a parent their favorite kid. And I don't think you can ask a podcaster their favorite. And Amantha went, ooh. But if I had to choose two, you know, Amantha uses that beautiful pause on words. She loves the podcast she's had with Adam Grant. She said, Dom Price, because every time I get Dom on, he's contrarian, he challenges, and he gives me something different to talk about. And then I thought, come on, that's too much nice stuff. So I went to one of your besties. Big shout out as well to Lawrence Goldstone. He's going to be my best man. I'm getting married in April, and I've given oh. him the keys to the castle. I'm going to live to regret that, but anyway. You, you may not. Um, I said, so can you tell me uh, what makes Dom so special and what topics get Dom really fired up? He said, what makes him so special? Ask him. He'll tell you. <laughs> 
Very true. <laughs> he said, what gets him fired up? Everything. Productivity and metrics. New message. Home versus office debate. New message. Why Manchester United are so shit. New yep, message. Futurists. They get him riled up too. They don't really exist. Yep. Like I said, everything. <laughs> Very true. So it was good talking to those three because it helped craft a, a few different takes on where we want to go today. So let's start though with what gets you riled up. Two things I want to talk about here. Let's ease into it because I don't want you to hang up on me first. We're going to talk about a report that a certain consulting firm did recently, Dominic, about how everyone is going to be back at work in three years. Let's hold that. I want to build the tension. I want to see you go red. But first of all, the work hybrid pisses you off. I've heard you talk about this multiple times and winding yeah. up the, the toy soldier. Now talk to me about your disdain for the word hybrid. There's a few things if, if we just simplify it. One is in virtually every version of hybrid, it, it's not the best of both worlds. It's the worst of both, right? And you can look at any time in history whenever we said the word hybrid, right? And 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 that's not to dismay the idea of, of having flexibility in work. If I think the goal of most organizations when they're trying to build their like employee journey or employee value prop, right? And these are the same leaders that are like, you know, the biggest challenge we've got is the war for talent. Our biggest asset is our people. And they say that, and then they go, but I'm going to stand over your shoulder and watch what you do from 9 to 5 Monday to Friday. And, and then they, they think they're cool because they're like, actually, I'm going to let you work from home on Monday and Friday because I trust you on those days. But on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I don't trust you. And, and I think your most creative time, Andrew, is 3 p.m. on Wednesday. That's when you and the team should get together and create because innovation can be planned. Uh, there's no serendipity uh, involved, right? It's three o'clock. You've got an hour. Be creative, right? And I'm like, you've you've missed the point entirely. But it's on so our values. It's it's there. It's, 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 it's integrity, on the wall. Yeah. respect, creativity. It, you know, capturing the human true. spirit. Yeah, and so it's one of those things of going. Yeah, you know, I, I, and I, I talk a lot with senior leaders, and the first question I normally ask them is, "Have you hired fully formed adults?" Right, and it's kind of a yes or a no. It's not a maybe. If you've hired fully formed adults and you innately trust them to do the things you ask them to do, there's other things you can trust them with, and, and where and how they work should be part of that equation. And so this is where it just it irks me, because I'm like, you're spending all this time searching for amazing people. You're doing all this screening, paying all this money to get the best talent, and then you're just dumbing them down. And so I just I just don't get it. Like, the, the argument doesn't hold true. So all I want, really, it's very simple. It's, my, it's on my Christmas wish list, is for leaders to follow through on the statements that they make. And if we do that, then we'll get flexibility. And again, this is limited to knowledge workers, but you know, billions of knowledge workers globally. We can get flexibility in how, where, and when we work. We can actually work more effectively, right? There's science that proves that. Or we swing the pendulum. We pretend it's 1983 again, and we go backwards in time to when we were tethered to a typewriter. So the, the choice is universally out. It's like no one's making it for us, but we just need to sign up for, are we going to invest it in the new way? It might be hard, but are we going to invest in that? Or are we going to regress to the old way that didn't work then? So why should it work now? I think you should ring up Mariah Carey and put out a, a Christmas cracker. You know, the UK, it's always still the big countdown to the top Christmas yeah. song. All I want for Christmas it's is fully formed adults. Now, can I pick up on that theme of fully formed adults? And this channels back into what we spoke about at the start today. And I wound you up about Manchester being fully shit. But at this time of you and I talking, every NRL team, every super rugby team in the Southern Hemisphere is in the off season. And when you when I talk to one of my mates, what do they say? So how are you going over at insert team there, Dom? What do you say? It's it's funny, right? Because sport and business are very different. I mean, it's another thing that irks me and how people try and draw analogies between them, right? Sport is played out in front of a very different audience to business. Sport is 95% training, 5% performance. Business is the other way around, right? If, you, if you're in a corporate and you spend 
more than 5% of your time training or learning and development, you're, you're over the moon. You're not, right? It's all this time in delivery. So they're, they're very different worlds. Sport is win or lose. Business isn't, right? If, if, if you're third in the market and you're behind Microsoft and Amazon, you're over the moon. You're still worth over a trillion dollars, right? And so it, it's You like don't third, get put down to the next tier, either. Yeah. Lose, like third, lose everything. Third in my, biz, in, in my world is, is still great, whereas third in yours is like, well, you're lost, right? And so the, the, the analogy doesn't always work for me, but the, the thing I say to people is I, I feel extremely fortunate. I, you know, I turned over my 10-year anniversary with it last year and earlier this year. It's the it's the longest I've been anywhere, but also it's that weird and it's cheesy, right? So you can beat me up for this. I feel like I've been here for ten minutes, and in other ways, I feel like I've been here for a thousand years, right? If I look at what I've seen in those ten years, I'm like, oh my god, that doesn't fit in ten years, but it still feels like yesterday. It's fresh, right? And so for me, there's that that freshness of am I still being effective? Um, am I growing and learning? And, 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 you know, as a 45 year old middle aged man, right? Have I still got some, some juice left in me? Right. Is there still some, some value there that I can demonstrate? Uh, and do I enjoy what I do? And it sounds weird. Like as a Northern English guy, right? That's why I'm a Man United fan. As a Northern English guy, you know, I, I was raised to hate work, right? The, the environment I was raised in, the family environment I was raised in was you hated your job. And, and, and your role on a Friday was to get a drink with your colleagues and whinge about the entire week. And at no point could you say that you liked what you did. So I, I remember going home to my family, it wasn't that long ago, and, and, and like being worried about how I'd offend my entire extended family. Like, I am really sorry, people. I've let you down. I enjoy what I I enjoy do. my work. I enjoy my Hey, that wasn't cheesy. Cheesy, I was at a conference recently. And there was a lady before me, and, and like great intent, but she was talking about purpose in the P word, which is really topical mm. at the moment. And, Another trigger word. Yeah. <laughs> no matter why you are, this is going to be fun. And and she said, you want to make your vocation feel like a vacation. And she didn't laugh. Like if I said to that, if I said that to my mates at Dubbo, or you went back to Northern England and said that, you would rightfully get a dead leg or a dead arm as well. Also, I don't agree with it. Like, like Atlassian doesn't feel like a holiday, far from it. We work really bloody hard. Like it's exhausting, but very addictive. Like um, the thing that makes it addictive is, is the accumulation of impact, right? It's not the fact that I'm sat there sipping a pina colada and reading my latest John Grisham. Right? I do that in my own time for enjoyment. So for, for me, that, that that's where I think people try and muddy this whole like, here's my value in life and I have to then overlay that into work. And I'm like, no, I enjoy work for very different reasons. I enjoy reading a book at the weekend. Right, they have to be the same. Hallelujah, thank you. Thank you, because I think there is this notion of influencer drop and drag download, you know, you can read the book, yeah. put on the tight shirt and suddenly then you've got all these followers and you don't have to work hard. I say this all the time, mate, you know, I've got five years on you, so I'm U plus GST. And the thing I realise is, you know, work hard, recover hard, and make sure you've got a bit of fun, meaning, play, laughter along the way. Hey, I've got to go back, otherwise I'm going to listen back to this and just be really irritated at myself. But that fully formed adult, here's a framework for you. When someone comes and presents, I imagine at Lassen you do a lot of yours virtually like we're talking today, but it's easy in an interview to show your best self. It's like a relationship. You know, you met your darling girlfriend, soon to be wife. How nice are you for the first three months? Like you, you, you open the car door, they, you no, smile. Like yeah. We weren't. Really? Yeah, and that's why it worked. Okay. We, we did we'll, it differently. Another open loop. Let's come back to that. You, we'll come back to that. I want to hear you say that you farted on the first date. But in, in, in an interview, everyone's the best version of themselves. So what I'm yeah, curious you put your about- best foot forward. Fully formed adult, yeah. How do you go under pressure? And then you're really, really show me your true character. How do you, how do you test that? Or how do you even yeah. assess that? 
It's it's funny, right? So I, I I like to use people's words against them to enable them to succeed, right? So so let's let's talk about what that means. I used to do a lot of interviewing for like see, uh, I used to run the program management function at Atlassian. I'd be hiring program managers like I'm really good under pressure. I'm really good with uncertainty. They'd say all the right phrases, and I'm like, cool. We're gonna do a role play right now, and here's the situation. And it's fascinating. You could literally draw a line, right? Half the people on one side, half on the other. Half of them just panic. They're like. Well, I've not done that before. That's not fair. And I'm like, hang on. You said literally 30 seconds ago that you handled uncertainty really well and you had an ability to deal with ambiguity and you could like, that's all I'm asking you to do. And it's not an unfair scenario. It was actually a very fair scenario. So so it was literally binary how people would respond. And, and I said to people afterwards, I'm, that's not designed to set you up for failure. It's actually designed to set you up for success. Because if you can't do that, you have no chance in our real environment. You're, you're going to drown. You're not going to love it here. You're going to loathe it. And so I want I want to hire the person that has a chance of thriving here. And this environment isn't for everyone, right? The 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 amount of autonomy we give people for some people is too much. They're like, I'm used to being told what to do, and you give me blank piece of paper. I, I, I'm paralyzed. I don't know where to start. So, yeah, it, it's not a test as much as saying if you say you're good at something, and then I give you an opportunity to display it, you better display it. Right. And so like humility. Oh, I'm really, I'm really humble. I, I love team I love, player, team player. I, I, I love feedback. I love feedback and, and improving. And I'm like, cool. What's the hardest bit of feedback you've had? And how did it drive you to improvement? They're like, no, oh, I haven't got any. And you're like, see, so you don't, you like the same. So, so for me, and, and this will make sense for you because we've met a few times, right? When we're out presenting at conferences and events. For me, my eye roll moment is when I hear someone that's never done something, tell a story about it. Right. And there's a whole lot of thought leaders out there. And honestly, a little bit of me dies whenever they say anything, because I'm like, that statement you've never experienced. At best, you're telling someone else's story. And I've realized as I approach my mid 40s and maybe just become an angry middle aged man, that my learning style resonates a lot with people that can give an example. Right. Here's, here's a story. And here's an example of how I did that, how I navigated this, how it works, how it failed. That instantly in my brain in my body and it's loaded the the motherhood apple pie statements over my head gone and i'm rolling my eyes and so it, it, for me it's come down to learning style it's the same with hiring can you actually back up the statement you made and being the best version of you is drum roll you not someone yeah. else yeah. Yeah. You, you can look at other people so you know, we spoke about this in in speaking that sometimes people say i want to be like her no 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 what do you learn from her and how do you craft your story your experience yeah. your fuck ups your mistakes along the way but no there's, one wants there's, to there's a click there right andrew that, that people miss it's not the best version of you as in the theater or the pr version of you it's the best and then in a bracket rounded version of you so if you tell me everything's always gone amazingly well in, in my world like on all your projects i'm like well that's not true Right. So, so that, that's not you presenting your best self. That's you pre presenting a convenient version of yourself. I want the honest, rounded version. And, and someone that can do that, I'm going to hire any day. The person that can't and can only present positive self, you can go and work somewhere else where PR is more important than reality. Hey, it's me. Just a quick note I'd love you to subscribe to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. And I know you probably hear this on so many other podcasts, and like me, you switch off. But can I ask you to please go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe? And while you're there, extra bonus, leave a rating and review. That's it. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Where did you learn this? Because 
digging into you, before an interview, you stalk people in a, in a nice way, you know, look at the background and then see some threads. So you spent time in a consulting firm. The way you're talking is very non-consulting. You grew up in Northern England. The way you're talking is very non-Northern English. <laughs> the way you're talking is very non-tech from my experience on working with tech companies. And wait till we talk about Atlassian's responsible tech principles, which has swear words in it. How, where, when, why did you learn this dynamic approach? There's not a day, right? There's not a day when you're like, oh, I'm comfortable being me and I'll just sort of, you know, I'll, I'll lean into that. It's interesting that, so I started my career, for those that don't know, as a chartered accountant, right? So yes, it was a consulting firm, but I started as a chartered accountant. I studied accounting and, and my job was an auditor. I'm sorry to and, hear that, Dom. Yeah, now I've been sober for 5,000 days now, so it's okay. We can, we can talk about it in a safe environment. But it was fascinating because I learned a huge amount from that, but I didn't love it. But I did it because as a family coming up, you know, being raised in the north of England, two older sisters, right, younger sister, family members. Um, it was one of those where I'm like, I remember my family saying, if you become a chartered accountant, you'll have a job for life. And, and at the time, that currency was huge. The idea of having an income forever was amazing. It was bizarre. I was like, wow, God, you, you get the gold watch at the end after 45 years of service. And that seemed like a good currency. And then as I moved around the world and started to travel and explore and experience different things, I'm like, actually, that's not enough. That, that's not filling the cup enough. That's that's sufficient. But what's next, right? And it became a variety of work and then working in different locations, different fields, working with different leaders. One of the things I realized like more recently is two things. One, my entire career has been opportunistic. There's been no plan. But whenever I've seen an opportunity, I've done a, why not? Like stepping through that door seems like a good idea. If it doesn't work out, I can pay a toll and come back. But none of my career decisions have been one-way doors, right? So each time you're like, if it doesn't work out, I reckon I can find a job as a program manager. Like that's going to exist for a while. But when the role of work futurist came up, I'm like, I don't know when that next comes up. So I'll lean into that. And if it works, great. And if not, it's an experiment. I'll learn something. So that was one thing that I realized. The second one is about four or five years ago, I realized that I can't learn anything from business books. Because by the time an editor's gone through them and taken out all the juicy stories, they don't work for me. They're Hang on. Generic. Oh, we've got all these previous people, Frosty, on the podcast. How many people have we had that we've interviewed on the podcast that have got business books? Shannon's putting her hands up. Seven, eight, nine, possibly ten. And I'm sure ten. they're lovely. They're lovely. Sure there's an audience. There's an audience for them. It's just not me. I'm not your target market. However, here's what I do. I go to events and I meet people like you, Andrew. I meet other people. I meet people like Amantha, Ben. Lawrence, right? I mean, I meet Pemmy down in Melbourne. I meet all these people. I'm like, you're my people who, when you have a lived experience, will share it with me. And that lived experience is worth 10 times to me a chapter of a book. And, and that's just my learning style. And so each time I meet this, this rich tapestry of people, and I meet, as you know, from my background, some random people don't get doing what I do. And I meet them and I'm like, tell me more. I just turn into a sponge and I absorb it all and I don't judge it. I'm like, I'm just going to take it all in. And I'll work out later on what it all means. And, and maybe maybe I won't. Maybe I'll never work out what it means. But th that that rich tapestry gives me a chance to expand my horizons. Have you read Fat, 40 and Fired or 60, Sex and Fired Up? No. I mean, one of them seems like a target for me. <laughs> so Nigel, who's been on the podcast, he's a cracker. And we're speaking in Melbourne at the Australian Council Legal Association, ACLA, 
15 mm. plus years ago. So Nigel gets up the front of the crowd and he goes, business books, right? He's English, business books. Who reads business books? And he holds up a copy of Spencer Johnson, Who Moved My Cheese? So you, there's a room full of 500 lawyers, lawyers and accountants, very similar as far as attribution style, yeah? High on the pessimistic scale as well. A business books, who reads business books? And he hooved up, held up Who Moved My Cheese? Who's read Who Moved My Cheese? About half the audience put their hands up then he, he held it up. Who moved my cheese? He dropped it and then went, who the fuck cares? And I, I still still remember to this day just absolutely losing at that because everyone had been suckered into like, who moved my cheese? Yeah. And it's a fucking mouse and a piece of cheese. That doesn't help oh, yeah. you run a business. I remember a, a partner in, in one of my previous companies bought a copy for everyone and made us read it before an offsite. I'm like, why? So here's here's the, the headline, right? We, we, we've not covered the headline here. The headline is, I think as a society, we're suffering with knowledge obesity and business books make us more knowledgeable, but they don't in- inspire us to actually take action. And I think our challenge in business society right now isn't knowledge acquisition, it's how we apply that knowledge. It's getting the the confidence um, or the belief in ourselves to try it, maybe get it wrong, but to try it. And, and in your world, it's all about trying it, right? You, there's no point you sitting down with one of the teams that you support and going, I'm going to teach you how to win a rugby league game. They're like, well, I know how to win it. You score more points than the opposition. But it's like, how do I turn up on the field? And in the business world, we love acquiring knowledge, but you're like, do something with it. And that's why don't, lived experience. Don't make a mistake. Do it because everyone's watching you and you're right in yeah. sport. And there's definite applications. And you know, I wound you up before and you answered it beautifully. Sport is very different. It's high pressure. It's played on a global stage. You, 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 I go down with some of my athletes to the beach and everyone's got an opinion, right? You, if you go and walk with a CEO, some people might say hi if they're you know big investor in the company, but they won't go and tell them about what they did on the weekend. So you take learnings from both. Yeah, but when someone says carte blanche, look, this is what we do in sport and we're going to kick more goals. We're going to run harder at the opposition. But it's honouring. So Nigel Marsh, champ, I'll make sure you listen to this 15 years ago with your business books. Now, Don Price from Atlassian has given a very elegant, technical understanding but also of just like just like give, give me the lived experience and sometimes those authors have got lived experience and i'm fortunate like you are to bump into them and, and hear those stories right the stories between the chapters that never made it into the book they're the ones that that pay a huge dividend for me not not the generic chapter that we've all read if we've all read it then we're all the same mm-hmm. all right so there's a report that i've got in front of me here i won't mention the company name but it was a global consulting firm i'm looking at dom for anyone who's watching this on our youtube channel if you want to google that go performance intelligence youtube you can watch this you know a lot of the young punks watch you do that don't you frosty i i think i'm old i, I listen to podcasts now all of the young kids she's just giving me a thumbs up and saying yes old man <laughs> so wind you up this article and and i got a bit riled as well on this because i Three years' time, the prediction is from a lot of Australian CEOs that we're all going to be back at work like we were pre-COVID. Discuss. Maybe we are, maybe we aren't. I've not got a horse in that race. Here's my thing, right? The whole debate about where we work is futile, binary, it's quite divisive. And and whichever side you're on, it's just like politics, whichever side you're on, you'll go and find the data that justifies the thing you want to say. So if you're a property company, a large investor in property, or you're a business that thrives in the fact that people return to an office, you'll be like, hey, our research says, and you're like, brilliant. Oh, love that. Love that. Maybe a tinge of bias in there. Let's pretend there's not. And then if you're part of the the, the work from home campaign, you're like, hey, my campaign, you're like, hey, that's fine. 
Neither of you are right. Uh, or if you're, you're a tech company that teaches people to be mobile and work from everywhere. So, and I've seen a lot of the marketing with Atlassian, Microsoft. I think it's important to understand the extreme. So if you've got an REIT or a property group, you want to have people in property because you get more yeah. money. It's your incentive. Now, here's the reality. So, so if you take all that and realize that it's just theatre, right? And me and you know, and everyone knows who listens to this, there's lots of theatre in the business world. And it's nice. We play front of house. We do a little show. And you're like, oh, what's actually happening behind the scenes? So the reality is, and we've done stats on this, mainly in the US, but around the world as well, over 90% of organizations admit that they are distributed in the way they work, right? They're like, oh, okay. So that's a real thing. So even if my team's in the office, but I'm working with your team, Andrew, and you're down in Melbourne, we're distributed now, right? We're, we're working in a fashion that requires us to build connection in a different way. And so if you sign up for the fact that your teams are distributed globally, different customs, different cultures, different departments, whatever it is, right? Once you sign up for that, that's a muscle to grow. You need to get good at being distributed and ignore the distraction of whether you're distributed because you're all in the office or whether you're distributed because you're at home. Because I honestly don't care. I have honestly not got a horse in that race. You do you. You build your employee value proposition. You stick to it. But whatever you do do, make sure you're managing for how you work in a distributed fashion because that's true regardless. And the weird thing is the whole debate around where you work is stopping us from dealing with the thing we need to deal with, which is how we work. I find it foreign because I entered the corporate world properly in my early 40s and I sold a business to KPMG. So I'd always been self-employed. I, I sold a previous business to Accor, the hotel group. It was a well-being company, but we still left alone largely. And then I went back into sport, traveling around the world in cricket. So I, I could never get it when I went to... KPMG and I was told at the time by an older partner who's since retired that you need to be here to work because I was working on a program for a big client and I was going to go down the south coast to write and get away and you know, have some what Cal Newport calls deep work and he said quote are you taking a day off and I went quote when did we go back to the 80s I won't tell you what happened after that he wasn't impressed that he was challenged here's, by it here's but, the thing mate have you heard of Planck's principle no Right, mental scientists, just Planck's law, Planck's theory, and Planck's principle. Planck's principle says that scientific evolution only happens when the last generation of scientists die, right? Because then their voices aren't heard anymore, and the new generation of scientists get to share their new findings. But until that, until that point, your findings are muted by the people above you, right? And, and we're living that right now. There's a whole cohort of leaders that are like, but Andrew, you don't understand. When I was a graduate in 1967, this is how we did it. And I turned out fine. And you're like, no, no, you did. That was a different time. We want the current generation to turn out fine, but the world has changed. So let's build it and make it relevant for the world we're in, not the one you were in 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? And so I think some of this is Planck theory playing out. We, we need that generation to politely either move on or quieten themselves and listen to what the people they are hiring or want to hire say that they need and want and adjust for that. And it's, it's difficult. I'm, I'm not claiming it to be easy. If you've got 40 years experience of doing something, you start to be convinced that that's the right way, right? It, it's, it's a lot harder to unlearn 40 years of experience than it is to unlearn four years. Mm, I like that Planck's principle. But with COVID, it jolted everyone. So Planck's principle was thrown out because you had to adapt yeah. and survive. Yeah, good forcing function. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was in that boundary, you know, not boundary, it sounded like I was in prison. I loved it. I learned so much from KPMG. I had an unconscious incompetence about large business, you know, realised why I could never scale a company because it always sort of made it about me and didn't know how to leverage other people. But I'd always worked 
in periods where you connect and then have periods where I isolate. You know, there's terms like deep work, forced isolation, but you know, you'd get ideas and have an idea shower. <laughs> Another one I've collected along the way at a conference I had. Uh, but then you go and do your work. So then COVID came along and people saw that you could work from home. You could lead from home. It, it got rid of the hierarchy because a lot of buildings, you know, in your travels around the world, yeah. we put the executives on the top floor, yeah. the very top floor with the big view yeah. big, big out big over views, the water. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you entertain our clients. And then as you come down, little graduates, you go on the first level, you little shit kickers, and you don't even have a coffee machine. You have instant Nescafe. In fact, in fact I want you to have it hard because that's how I learn. Yeah, and then you go up. And we've sort of lost the notion that a lot of people don't want to be like their leaders now. But anyway, I, I thought what would have been obliterated is what you call Planck's principle because we saw during COVID you could work remotely and people could walk to the local coffee shop. So while baristas in the coffee, yeah. baristas in the city were going out of business, in the local suburbs they were booming. So now it's the tyranny of choice. So this this is the thing that's lost on people. One of the strange advantages of the pandemic was it was unifying. You didn't have a choice of where you worked. Legally, you had to work from home, right? So it was the same for everyone. And you're like, ah, oh. and, and, and didn't realize at the time because there's so much chaos going on with with the news and, 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 and injections and vaccines. There's so much going on. We didn't realize that actually there's this wonderful unifier of a shared experience. And then when the pandemic eased, it became a multi-layered, multi-gamer experience. Are you home or office or third space? And hours are you working? And then you're like, oh, Oh, that's way more complicated. That's that's infinitely harder to solve for because when everyone was at home, ev everything felt the same. And now we've introduced two other options and it's really confusing. And so what happened was the burning platform went and the unification went at the same time, which is why we had this period of like 18, 24 months afterwards where people like, seems to be working. So should we just like carry on and trust our fully formed adults to work it out? And then economy tanks. As the economy tanks, people go, you know what, we should, let's go back to the way it was, because that's always worked. It's mediocre, it's average, but it's always average. It's predictably average. And you're like, really? That's, that doesn't sound like excelling, right? Or, 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 or being effective, but that's what we swung back to. And so that, that unification and burning platform disappeared. Gotcha. Gotcha. So hybrid fires you up. Does third space as a term fire you up as well? <laughs> I mean, I don't like as a concept. It, it, it's fascinating because I, I spend a lot of time in in this kind of asterisk, right? Uh, whether I'm at client sites or I'm at conferences or events, right? Or I'm out visiting customers, and so that's not office or home. It's other, and so it kind of makes sense. It, it, it's the, the fact that we try and define it is what I find arbitrary. So, so if you go pre-pandemic, like. I'm old enough. I think I've had a BlackBerry since about 2010, right? I'm going to share my age now. So from 2010 onwards, I could email at night and at weekends, and I have been doing. So from that point, I've been untethered from a desk. It's just weird that 10 years later in 2020, it took a pandemic to actually untether me from my desk. I had the capability for 10 years. I didn't. Now I've untethered from my desk. I'm like, oh, I, I can be effective and do the work I need to do and achieve the outcomes I need to achieve in a multitude of different places and different times with different people. And my job is to optimize that. So you said a few times, deep work, how do I lock out time to do my tasks, to do my things? How do I then find the time to work with my team? Because I'm meant to be a force multiplier. I'm a leader, right? There's teams that I work with both who report to me and that I influence that I should be a force multiplier for. How do, we, how do I become available 
and how do I spend the time with them to incentivize and, and, and you know, invigorate and motivate them so they can do great work, right? So there's multiple layers to it. Oh, and by the way, I want to be a good dad and a good friend, right? And a good this and a good partner. And, and so, so that enables me to then flex and say, within my 24 hours, where are those boundaries? If you approach it that way, it makes sense. If you go, Andrew, do you work in a third space or a second space or a first space? You're like, I don't like all of them. I don't know. I'd like it's It's like the wrong question, therefore I can't answer it. And that's why this endless debate, which feels endless right now, I can't wait for LinkedIn just to turn itself off over Christmas, uh, endless debate about hybrid and other stuff. I'm like, we're missing the actual meaningful conversation. Mm, and yeah, it's, it's so much there, so much. I look at it how I show up. Mm. I, can, I can show up online. I can be doing a group coaching session. I can show up face-to-face walking with someone to walk and talk for a sales meeting. I can show up and speak to, it's in America, thousands of people. In Australia, a big audience is about 1,500. So you're showing up to multiple places and there's more the transition to shift state to get into the right state for the group you're with. But, and I'm interested, I want to ask you this and then we're going to talk about your wonderful tech principles. It's also down-regulating and that's something I've seen a lot of people lost because we were able to have a Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting and, hey Dom, wrap up, we're on the hour, jump into the next one. It's a little bit like that show that's been reborn on Channel 10, Celia Piccola. I love Celia. Thank God you're here. And then when you don't have any time to transition, you rock in and it's like, where am I? Am I flying a plane? Am I an artisan baker? Oh shit, I'm a bartender and I'm making a cocktail. It's just that shifting through state is what I think. So I'm really curious how you do that. So how do you get ready for a key moment? And then as importantly, how do you down regulate or how do you go down the gears to recover, to recharge? Yeah, it's it's fascinating, right? So for years, I was trained around productivity and time being the two things that I had to kind of optimize. Accounting, consulting firm, you have realization yeah. and utilization rates yeah. that you report every week. And, and then and then it kind of came to me later in life. I wish it had come earlier, but it but it didn't, and that's fine. Which is that time was the wrong thing to measure. It was, it was energy. And, and then it wasn't productivity. It was, was I being effective? Was I delivering the right outcomes and impact? And, and, and that was often three or six months after the event. And so that was became a time-like thing. The, the energy one's been fascinating for me because – I felt like it just naturally worked. I don't quite know how or why. It naturally worked pre-pandemic. In the pandemic, it really failed because I was putting a lot of energy out, right, on, on Zoom presentations and getting nothing back. So I would I would finish an event going, I have no idea if that was good, bad, or indifferent. And like a week later, you'd get the feedback and you're like, yeah, it doesn't resonate because the event's been and gone. Like the, the energy exchange was in the wrong moment. Whereas now, I'd say I'm, the vast majority of my events are now in person. I still do the odd virtual one, which is fine. But then it becomes a how do I, uh, I think of it as like, how do I fill my cup? So a recent experiment I did, and I'd be fascinated by your view on this. I started to get really bored of keynotes. And I was like, <gasps> gosh, yeah. conference like, organizers. And I was sat there, I was like, what is it I'm bored of? And I'm, I'm How many of do you keynotes. do a year? First question I've oh, got. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Hundreds. Hundreds, hundreds. A, hundreds a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a couple of weeks. And so I flipped it. And so I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm, 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 it's decent energy exchange, but it's missing something. So I did an experiment three months ago with one of my customers where I was like, for the same money, can I do, instead of a, 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 like a 45-minute keynote, can I do a three-hour workshop? And they were like, for the same money? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, they'll, they'll go for it. And it cost me more energy, but it gave me more back. Right. And so it's this weird one where I'm like, I still have to balance it out because I've got twins, they're 50 months old and friends and family and wedding to plan and whole stuff. But I'm like, what are the, the interventions I have, those moments where I can't sacrifice it? 
Because if I end up with balanced energy, but I've not had that hallelujah moment of doing a workshop and seeing someone in there go, oh, I feel better now. If I've not had that, then the rest of it doesn't make sense. So I know, I know the high moments that I need and I know the regulation. And so what it became, actually this happened after we had the kids. I remember the very first event I came to I got back to the house and that night sat down with my girlfriend, Becca, and I was like, I owe you an apology. I really struggled when I came home. And she's like, why? And I was like, the energy of that keynote, that workshop, that event, and, and the Q&A afterwards and the spontaneity. And, and then I walked back in the house and there's two kids that really want to play with that. And you're late like, five a, minutes and, and, and no one's wanting you to sign a book or to say, hey, Don, right. I love that story you said about yeah, coming from Northern it's, England. It's such a different headspace. And so one of the things that we talked about early on and in, in how our relationship changed once the kids came along was how do we help each other do that energy switch, right? From wh wherever you've been to wherever you are, how do you do that and, and, and acclimatize quicker to that zone? And how do you have the time? Otherwise, it's quite jarring. When I go home, I get reminded regularly, you're not keynoting, you're not podcasting with really cool people, you're not working with rock star athletes, your dad, your husband, and take the fucking garbage out now. Tony, my partner, God lover, has a really nice way of getting me off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so my view, if you've gone from doing keynotes, which is normally 45 to 60 minutes, and a keynote is higher on entertainment, I've seen your keynote, you're great at it. And you have some content in the same background, but it's a story and you tell a story. At the end of it, here's the three points. Catch you later. You donate your keynote money to charity, which I love. So anyone listening to this, we've got a large corporate audience, Dom. A lot of people have got bookings on this podcast. We would love, so the corporates listening to this, when you've got a conference coming up soon and you want Dom Price to talk about anything we've speaking about today and more, book him and your charity of choices are... Uh, I donate 100% of my net feed to three charities, Oz Harvest around food waste, Adara Group, which is single parents that need access to healthcare for their child, um, and Room to Read, which is giving girls around the world access to an education so they can multiply their life. I love you, Dom. Love, I love that you do that. Love, it's it's beautiful. And you, you work for a great company. You obviously get looked mm. after. You don't have to do this. You could be mm. buying holiday houses or saving yeah. for your kids' education, but you give it away. It's beautiful. And Lawrence, that's one of the things he did say, take the piss out of you, but you're a very giving man. Here's my thoughts. You're not getting enough range. Uh, there's a great book, David Epstein talks about range. So if you want to be mm. a futurist, don't go and study futurism, but you can't do it at, at uni, right? But yeah. it's the collective sum of experiences. Mm. I get asked a lot now by young guys, some young girls, Maisie, I would love to work with elite athletes. How did you become a mental skills coach? And I won't give you the long soliloquy, but it's something like be good at sport, not great, study exercise physiology, go and work with thousands and thousands of people as a personal trainer from compensable insurance to rehab, to personal training, to corporate health, start a business, uh, sell that to Accor Global Hotel Group with no idea, uh, finish your running career because you couldn't quite work out how to get out of your own way, do your best performances on the track, don't do them in big meets, do them in low-key meets, then go and work with the Australian cricket team, blah, 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 then study psychology, in between that have cancer, uh, have a marriage, have two gorgeous kids, live in a big house, everything that looks good, external, mm. extrinsic bullshit, go through a marriage breakdown just before you're 40 and feel like a failure, pick yourself back up, write a book, go and sell a business to a global consulting firm, and I probably think you're ready. So <laughs> Epstein, and I said this to a young guy from a footy team mm. recently, he went, oh, fuck, mate, I thought I could just do a weekend course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a LinkedIn learning course. <laughs> <I could do. laughs> LinkedIn learning. I'm sure Atlassian's got a program I can download. But 
I reckon while you're getting bored, if you're doing a couple of hundred keynotes, you're not getting range. So range for you could be, I'm going to do a couple of three-hour workshops because in a workshop, it's less about telling pew pew or you're somebody Sam, have a good life and more, hey, I'm going to sit with you. Here's a worksheet. Mm. Hey, what's your name? Claire. Claire, can you tell me about entitlement so you can really show the richness? And what I love Mate, now- that's the I difference. Yeah. That's completely different. So, so, so I made this switch a quarter ago. And it's night and day for me now. Right? I, I did a workshop this morning internally at Atlassian with it with a cohort of people, and, and and we only had an hour and a half, but it's still phenomenal. And and you know the hour and a half finished, we went for lunch, and they're still asking questions and chatting about it. And so the invigoration I get is seeing the impact on others versus uh, the vanity that I get from a keynote is a lot of nodding heads. Now I'm going to challenge you. Wait, 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 big go. Challenge you, challenge you, challenge you. I don't think it's either or. I think it's and. Because no, I, I know. if you do the it, right it keynote, and because sometimes they've only got 45 minutes on the card, and you can punch and have a great message, Absolutely. and you can keep people agitated and ooh, wanting to dig deeper. So I, I think it's and. But, but I still want to know from a keynote, I don't want the nodding head. Like the fact that you agree or disagree, that's great. But what I did, I actually did what I keynote the other week, and I said, don't tell me today it was great. If it was, that's beautiful. I don't need that. I don't need that recognition. I don't need that 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 confirmation bias, right? What I want to know is in three or six months, what behavior you changed and what you learned from it. So ping me on LinkedIn, right? So if you're only going to ping me once, ping me in six months, not in six minutes. So this is N equals one. I'd be really fascinated. Other people who speak a lot, speak proper a lot, their experience as well. I find sometimes, I had a guy recently I ran into in Australia's biggest airport, Adelaide. You know, Adelaide Airport's mm, massive. Very popular. Right? Building for the future. Mm. And he came over and said, Maisie, name's Charles. He was at a mortgage broking firm. He said, that keynote you did, mate, it was life-changing. And it was a 45-minute keynote. I think, and you know, if you do keynotes and speaking and stuff that you and I do, and if you believe the bullshit, you know, have a family, they'll bring you back to earth. But also there's there's a caricature or a persona and that's different to the person. And then I said, oh, Charles, that's great. Uh, where was it? Uh, told me the, the broker firm. That was 45 minutes. He said, yeah. I said, where were you at in your life? Mm. He said, I was in a time where I'd been really struggling. The missus, his words, not mine. The missus said, if I don't sort my shit out, she was moving. And you just said the right message at the right time. So I think sometimes it can be a short, sharp message and oh, someone yeah. needs it. But there's still there's still a tonality that, that me and you um, expect, right, which isn't always there, which is this is action-oriented and designed for you, the audience member. It's not me getting off on telling three chapters of a story that I've told a million times. It's how am I helping you, right, the listener? And it's that mental shift that I want people to think about more, right? When you're telling a story to one, it's not how well you tell the story, it's how much you impact the other person that matters more. Mm. Are you planning an upcoming conference or company offsite? For the past 15 years, I've averaged speaking at over 50 events each year, and I still love presenting at conferences as much as I did when I first started. To explore the different presentations I offer on a range of topics and themes, including physical and psychological well-being, becoming burnout-proof, connection and belonging, that's a new area I'm, I'm really enjoying presenting on, neuroscience and behavior change, mental skills and leadership and culture, or if you'd like to understand our fully integrated conference experience with pre-event diagnostics, activities throughout the agenda, including a morning wake-up, energy breaks, team-building activities, and digital resources to embed learning. To find out more information and to download a brochure, go to andrewmay.com slash keynotes. 
Oh, I can't wait to come back to this and do a check-in in 12 or 18 months' time and see the range. So for me, range is podcast. Range is doing some media where you're interviewed and you've got seven minutes sitting on the couch on ABC News Breakfast and you're told in your headpiece two minutes before you go on there's breaking news in the US or over in the Balkans and you've got to cut it down to three minutes. Uh, it's going long with a three-month executive performance program. It's an annual year or multiple years if you get it right with sporting teams and it can also be a short sharp exchange on a platform so it's that range i love so i quote epstein that the collective some of those experiences helps oh, you the in end. every experience yeah yeah like so, so i i uh, MC the panel right with forbes of the week uh, and i do a podcast i do a keynote i do a workshop one of the workshops i've done four different ones with the same client so i can see the follow-up that lists the accountability because if they're paying me four times they're going to want to see a return way easier to find return on a one-off than it is on, on visit number four. So it's that, it's that the rich tapestry, right? It's the portfolio, horrible word, but like, how do you have that mix? Because that's what gives me the confidence that what I'm saying is working. Love it. Good segue. Or I could talk like really passionate about that topic and, mm. and really interesting hearing you talk about that. Um, so yeah, work in progress. I'm going to come back and see what yeah. your range you is like in, in a year's time. Yeah. Atlassian's responsible technology principles. I downloaded this off LinkedIn. I think you did a post one or two days ago. I'm gonna go through what they are. I love this and it is so non-corporate. So there's five principles. Number one is open communication, no bullshit. Number two is build for trust. Number three is accountability is a team sport. You had me at team sport. Four is empower all humans. And five is unleash potential, not inequity. I think you borrowed that last one from Anthony Robbins. Yeah, <laughs> that and the firewall. Five, let's pick one or two. Talk to me about them and why you're so passionate about these principles and why do you share these principles? So I've got two questions. You know, why why yeah. are you so passionate about this? And two, ooh, are you giving your secrets away, Don Price? Yeah, I mean, we have to, let's answer number two first. So so we've had a philosophy for years. Every time we land on something good, we share it. Same, knowledge is uh, free, right? It's a commodity. It's the application of that knowledge. So the idea is the more you can open source and share, the more you benefit humanity as a whole. And if you land on something good, why wouldn't you share it? And we've seen other leaders do the same thing in the last 10, 15 years, right? It's not unique to Atlassian, but it's a standout part of our culture, right? And so as soon as we landed on these, we're like, hang on, if we're working with lots of CTOs, CIOs, leaders of all shapes and sizes from organizations who are genuinely struggling on how to get their hands around things like AI and embrace new tech, why would we not share it? Like, what's the point in hoarding it? And so worse things happen if we hoard it, good things happen if we share it, we're going to share it. So that's that's the first principle that yeah, we shared our term sheet of how we do acquisitions. We open sourced that years ago. You see me talk about our team playbook every time we land on a new way of teamwork that we practice in it last year. And we share that for free with people. Like it's just the way we do things. And this felt like a pivotal moment to get it out there and have the influence and impact we want. Um, how it came about was we were experimenting with AI and we were experimenting with new tech as we, as, as we do. And we were doing that and we're like, Oh, this, this can get quite dark. Like it can also get quite bright. But it can really get pretty dark. So how do we think about what our guiding principles of how d we would want dark to Dark as far as we're all going to hell in a handbasket and we're going to lose our right. jobs because the bots are taking over dark? Well, let, let, let's go dark as in, you know, unleash potential, not not inequity. So if, if there's no uh, representation, there's no diversity and inclusion in the people building AI and we blindly deploy, we've deployed someone's bias, that bias now becomes the standard. Right. So, so this, this is where the, the amplification impacts of things like AI get scary. If you get it right, you amplify for everyone. 
if you get it wrong, you've amplified for everyone, but in the other direction. And so the, the, the coefficient, the cause and effect is just significantly higher. And so how we think about minority groups and making sure they're not negatively impacted, right? How you think about representation, how you think about how you turn up. And, and, and so that goes from the equality side and then empower all humans, right? How do we do this in a way that respects human rights, that respects sustainability, that respects accessibility? Right? How, how do we make sure that things like AI don't just work for those that can see, right? For, but for those that can't, or for those that have access to a laptop or, or the internet, or like, there's so many ways where you're like, oh, we, we could just increase the divide. The, the lovely intent, the PR message is this will unite us all. It's a wonderful shared experience that makes all of our lives better. Or does it just make the middle class better, right? And, and, and makes the marginalized even more marginalized. So this became a conversation of, of how we think about impacts on purpose and not let it happen by accident. Because if it happens by accident, it's likely a dark scenario. And we get to say sorry, but it's too late. A guy in your industry who is a little bit of a polarizer, his name is Musk, Mr. Elon. I think is his name Elon. He did change his name to some molecular compound. He he had a conversation with Barack Obama when Barack was president on this. And, and you know, it, he does polarize and he's done some crazy things and he does some wonderful things. But he, he foresaw this almost a decade ago that the American government should have put some laws on this where AI was going. I, I think he was way ahead of the curve and, and people just didn't get, they thought he was talking a different language. In hindsight, I've watched that interview, I've just gone, oh, he was just like, you talk about a futurist predicting what's coming up. Mm. My God, he was on the money. There's, there's, there's a few like him that have predicted the impact of data. That, that's been a big one. And AI is part of that same narrative, if you think about it, right? You, you need excessive amounts of data to then layer AI over the top and, and, and to get the large language model processing. But essentially, it becomes this thing of going, now we've gone and collected all these years and years and years worth of data. Am I going to use it for good or evil? Right? That's the question we're all asking ourselves. Question one is good or evil. Question two is who's got the kill switch? Right, and they're the two existential questions we're asking ourselves, which is when I now get surfaced a bit of information, is it to help me or hinder me? So the, the best example I've seen is all of, like, and in America, this was huge, right? The 23andMe or the ancestry.com, right? You lick the swab and it tells you you're a, a third Irish and a third Scottish and a third whatever. You're like, brilliant. Uh, and that's all recorded somewhere. And then that gets purchased by a healthcare company. And you're like, oh, all right. So now, you know, my uh, ancestry has a history of, uh, cancer. So you're going to load up my premiums on my healthcare. Now I haven't, I haven't got an illness and I've not been tested, but now you're changing my premiums. Is that good or evil? And you're like, well, it's the data. And the data said you were a third Irish. So we think you're going to struggle with skin cancer. And you're like, right. And so you, you suddenly realize that data in the wrong hands, certainly in a capitalist world where you're like, what's the margin on that? You can make margin on stuff and cause a huge amount of harm. Whether you intend to or not, you can still cause a huge amount of harm. So if we ignore intent for a minute and just look at the genuine negative impact, it's super high. And so that's why we have to get this right on purpose. And you're right, there's a great time two, five, ten years ago to get some good laws in place to manage this. And what you're seeing now is this mad scramble, right, for governments, right, playing catch up. And what ends up happening is each jurisdiction does it differently. So we found it with data residency, like each location we operate in has a different way of thinking about data, right? And, and access to privileged data and access. And you're like, so we just add, end up adding in overhead because we've not got a universally agreed way of doing it, right? It's the same as, as you know, Apple versus Samsung power plugs, right? The fact that we all travel with a power pack, right? All these things where we think there's going to be a uniform way of doing it. And we just end up just, just literally with paper cuts. 
We'll put the link to that article in the show notes. I've got a question, and then we're going to change state. We'll take everyone through an activity. You and I are going to change state, and I'm going to put you on the spot. How do you come up with this shit? Because genuinely, look, we, we connected on LinkedIn last week, said we're going to talk about this, gave you a rough frame. I've asked a question, and you're just like, dun, 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 dun. We, we haven't planned this, and I've heard you do other podcasts. I've seen you speak. Ah, yeah, okay, good so, point. so open, open-ended question. Yeah. How, how do you come up with this shit and then put it into work? Because it's one thing learning, studying, acquiring. It's another whole different thing implementing. So it, and it's a complement to your craft, knowledge, yeah. and then applied knowledge. How do you do it? So I'm, I'm not the only storyteller in Atlassian. Every time we do something, we love telling stories. Like from our very inception, we tell stories about things that failed, right? We tell stories about things that succeeded. We want to repeat those. And here's the lesson learned. And here's what happened when we hired the wrong person. Here's what happened with this acquisition. This one went well. That's storytelling. We do a lot of retrospectives and introspectives and then project forward. It's just become part of our cultural DNA. And so I Are you I, told I that, that when you joined Atlassian? Is that something you no. teach people? Oh, God, no, no, that, that's a lived experience. It, 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 no, it's not written down. It's in the fabric. So you experience it. It's really jarring. And then you're like, oh, shit, I, I better do the same thing. Otherwise, I'm going to be left behind. So I, I remember like vividly uh, in my first 90 days, writing uh, a story in Confluence that I'm about to hit share on. I'm like, what if I get judged? Like, what if it's wrong? What I had all these what ifs. I'm like, yeah, so it's fine. I've passed my probation and shared it and then start to get comments and feedback. And I was deeply offended because not everyone agreed with me. And I suddenly realized I'd grown up in environments where people said nice things, not because they were true, but because they played the game of politics, right? Behind your back, they'd say the nasty things. To your face, they were nice. And then at Atlassian, people just tell you the truth to your face. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is really, really, I hated that first 90 days because of how confronting it was. And then I'm like, Actually, I prefer this to the alternative, which is where they have the meeting about me. I'm not, I'm not in it. Yeah, and then the sugary, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you know yeah, they're no, going to stab no, the everyone, living yeah. daylights out of you when you leave. So it's, it, it's, it's just become a perpetual thing. So now part of my job is to consume other people's stories, but also help them with my story, right? And so it's it, then it becomes a lived experience. So it's not like I have to go and search for a story. You're asking me a question about something I care about, that I'm passionate about, I've been involved in. I'm just telling my version of that. Talk talk to me about the craft on that because I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it apart because it's that competence you've got. Do you sit back and then craft the story and think, how am I going to put that message out in one of my workshops or how am I going to put that message out? So my example, I, I spend a lot more time now, especially in a presentation on the first five or 10 minutes, how am I going to land one or two key stories connected to the organization so people in there are going well he's not an accountant he doesn't work for a fast-moving consumer but he gets leadership he gets stress and pressure and he gets high performance so i spent a lot of time doing that mm. do you do similar so the, the the key step for me is the discovery step right it, it's the one that defines the entire success or failure path which is before the event how much institutional knowledge can I garner from various different people to enable me to be set up for success, right? If it's a keynote, uh, I did one the other week, and, and my question to the, the the organizers was, what state will people be in when they walk in the room? As in, what experience have they had before and what mood are they in? And how do you want them to feel at the end of my 45 minutes? And I was like, the more descriptive the words, the better. If you want them to feel comfortable and reassured, I'm going to use different language than if you want them to feel provoked and challenged. So, like, be careful with the words that you pick. Shut and, and then I'll build write, for that. Write that down. Right, yeah, write that down. And so that, I'll come back to him in a moment. Just write that, write that shit down. 
that, that discovery becomes important. Yeah. And then as you know, it's then the ability to flex because whatever you arrive with as a plan ain't going to happen, right? You, you, you deliver your first sort of whiz bang moment and half the room just rolls their eyes. You're like, okay, missed the mark on that one. But in your artillery, you're like, am I going to dial it down or dial it up? Am I going to push harder? Or do I need to bring people in? Do I need another story or do we need to crack on? And so the, it gets the stage of learned versatility, right? Which is I have an artillery of stuff in the background that I can deploy. Your job and my job is to read the room and work out which one is best to next deploy. And then every couple of minutes is just read the room again and go, okay, that one works. So we go again and that one didn't. And I'm going to tweak and, and just adjust to the point where the the plan I had before the session very rarely the plan I deliver on, but it's a similar version of right, but with versatility involved. All right, I'm going to interlude. The big fellow's on a roll here. You live and breathe this. I'm going to interpret that for other people who are going. What, what is he talking about? You spend more time on the message and the storytelling and the alignment with the culture and the company than you do on the content. And here's the mistake a lot of people make. And you do this with the right intent. So for people listening, I'm not beating you up. I'm I'm trying to give you a lesson from the big guy from one of the world's largest, most successful, fastest growing organizations. Spend some time on domain expertise. That's why you've got your job. You've got to know some stuff. Spend as much time. And if you're presenting a lot, spend more time on the narration, on the story, on how you connect. Even when you did that, it was just beautiful you went into story. I just wanted to pull you back. So you know it's innate, right? You just even when you're doing a podcast, you get into storytelling, you work out a story and you bring it back. So people, if you're listening to that, I actually was having a meta thing going, he's doing what he was just talking about at the moment. So I've got to, I've got to stop him in the middle of this Inception. shit. Yeah. Yeah. But so the, I had a chat with someone today, literally this morning about this, which is the, the model I use of head, heart, and hands, right? And I think we all have a default. Like, do, do I default to the logic of the head? Do I default to the emotional content of the heart or the bias for action with the hands? However you default, own that, but acknowledge that your audience probably wants a bit of all three. The data says 97% of X. How that makes me feel is Y, and the action you should take is Z, right? When you have a narrative that is head, heart, and hands, the chances are you tickle a little bit of everyone, but but you've given someone meaningful. Either they needed the emotional connection or they needed the research or they need the action. What, whatever it is, it's a cohesive narrative. And 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 I think as, as storytellers, we often default to one of those, which is our favorite. I work with a lot of engineers who default to head because they love fact. Mm, and I'm like, data. If, yeah, if you can't emotionally connect with me, then you've not changed me. You've informed me, but you've not changed me. Right, and so the head, heart, and hands is a model that I uh, I've been using for years on that. Yeah, it's a good model. It's a great one. Hey, just wrapping this up, and then I want to put you on the spot for the five attributes of a corporate superstar performer. But when you talk about the culture of Atlassian, you've got tens of thousands of employees around the world. It's not a little organisation. To impact a team, a small team, you can move them really quick. Yeah, it's like a little boat. The analogy. To, to move a tanker, it takes a lot more time. But these principles, as you said, coming from that, that accounting background where you don't have that open, robust dialogue. I love robust dialogue because it's done yeah. with respect. It's done in a yeah, psychologically yeah. safe dissent. environment. There's still a lot of dissent in there, but the respect's the important bit. But when you have this kitsch, oh, yeah, and then you walk away and we bag the shit out of you. That's the opposite of any form of safety. Does this come from Scott Farquhar and Mike Cannon-Brooks? Have they got their fingerprints all over this? And this is a question for me looking at Atlassian, not really knowing a lot about what you do, the company. Is this come down from them from the very start or is this something that's been embedded as the company's grown? Mm. But, but both, like column A, column B. So if you look first few years, Scott and Mike, uh, they did the final interview, right, for any hire because 
there was 40 people, so they could, right? Then you get to this like post Dunbar's number where it just doesn't scale anymore. So you've got to let go. And, and that's when they created the values, right? Open company, no BS. Uh, don't bleak the customer. Uh, play as a team, right? Build with heart and balance. Be the change you seek. And you look at those, we hire for those, we recognize for those. It's part of our performance review, right? So that perpetuates over time. But eventually, as leaders, you've got to let go and trust others to do that. And then what happens is you realize that culture fit is the very worst thing you can do. So we hire for values fit and and like you you need to be culture add. You need to add to our culture and evolve our culture because everyone we hire, we want to impact how we work. And that should change every single day at the team level, at the network level, at the organization level. So the fascinating words you used before was tank, right? There's a lot of senior leaders that I work with and like, oh, you know, my company's an elephant or a tank, whatever metaphor they want to use. I'm like, it's really cute. It's not. It's made up of lots of little molecules, right? And if you start to impact enough molecules, you can build momentum to actually drive sustainable change. Or go and throw 40 million at one of your favorite consulting firms with an acronym, and they'll come in with a PowerPoint presentation and talk about transformation, but deliver very little in the way of change, right? And I don't want to mock them. I, I think they have delivered some benefits in the agile transformation, the culture transformation, the digital transformation, but they've also just ridden a wave, right? And so I think there's this, this moment of saying, how do you need to use consultants to access IP, especially skills, talent, interventions, one-off, whatever, but then how do you build the best version of you? And so for Atlassian, we've never wanted to be Google or Facebook or Meta or Microsoft. We've never wanted to be anyone else. We've wanted to be the best version of ourselves, right? And it's never best. You never get to best. You just only ever get to better because tomorrow brings a new set of challenges. And if you keep that mindset, you have the opportunity to explore and experiment and shit goes wrong all the time. But you do so, you learn from it, and you move on, right? We're not like a family. We don't brush stuff under the carpet. We put stuff out in the open, and people are like, wow, okay, you really dialed that up in your line. We tried something, and it didn't work. Here's what we learned from that. And so once you start, again, with storytelling, and if you use long-tenured and successful people to tell those stories, you perpetuate the idea that it's safe to do so. Social contagion theory, Dom. Mm. How you show up has a ripple effect around others. Both good and bad. Good and bad. You show yeah. up calm, relaxed, everyone else is calm. You show up highly energetic, everyone else will start bouncing around. You show up as a stressed out, arrogant asshole, suddenly everyone's having stressed out, arrogant asshole conversations. I'm redlining talking to you. I'm just, I'm going, dun, 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 dun. so can you, you're standing up. I'm going to stand up. Can we do a big breath? I always stand up for these. I, I, I see, stand up for I these. see, yeah, it's yeah. It's a different energy. Yeah, it, it shows, it shows. Can you take a big breath in me with me? I, I need this for me, mate. I, I need to downregulate before we get to the next segment. Can you breathe in through the nostrils? I'm going to breathe out through the mouth. Give me another two. In. Now, I did that as much for our listener. I love your energy. It's contagious. Now let's shift into asking you the five attributes of a corporate super performer. And for full disclosure, I totally put you on the spot for this. And you went, ooh. Yeah. I mean, it just feels like a good thing. So the, the thing that comes to mind, just a meta answer first, right? It's easy to just give you BS words, and, and we'll try and avoid those. Just for the, if the listeners are still listening at this stage, they don't want any BS, is who would I move for? Right? So when you ask me that question, I'm not thinking generically about leadership as this thought leadership thing. I'm thinking about is who the leaders I've worked with, if they ran me up and said, Dom, Regardless of the gig, I need you. Who are the ones I'd move for? Therefore, reverse engineer that. What are the attributes, right? What, what one is, is this like innate curiosity. I, I really get off on people that are like, what if? Uh, and and how about, right? They, they, 
they expand and it's not the abundance mindset i'll shoot myself if anyone says that again it, it's just this this curiosity of, of how might we right and it's a very it's very much a, a sense of openness right of, of exploration um and, and that they're with you on that so that that's one right second one is someone who really knows themselves and and this could be called self-awareness maybe it's not but it's one that that knows themselves so well as in the balanced self they know what they're good at they know what they're not they know who they are they know what they stand for right and so that that i just find i don't know it, it really just makes me relax into the moment right if, if if i'm with someone i'm like if i think about my friends the friends that are on the outside of the circle and the friends on the inside the friends on the inside of the circle all know thyself this is funny at, at my 50th my partner tony said of the speech it was highly embarrassing do you remember this frosty but it was also true she said andy divides his world into circles and there's the inner circle and then i've got my next so the inner circle is is a couple of guys i'm just rock solid with yeah. and the, the next circle they're close but they're not inner inner and then i have the outside and you know what was yeah. funny for the rest of the night what were people coming up and asking where am i on the circle because it was a surprise so she totally yeah. surprised me i have no idea still to this day how she got 50 of my closest friends and family from around australia in a room but everyone was coming up i love that that exactly. metaphor of circles yeah and it's not that any circles weaker it's just different like if if you're having a birthday i'll make best endeavors to catch up and i'll come along right and, and it just gets different as it, as it goes out it could be frequency it could be level of connection level of trust level of openness i'm still open with all the circles just the inner circle gets more openness right um so so that that that's really important um a, a drive right and, and a drive that isn't a selfish drive so we've moved to number three is drive yeah number three so the, the drive is some meta level thing that they're like if we can change x here's what happens in the world right and i'm like oh that's that like that sounds complex. It sounds gnarly. It sounds hard. Um, it sounds like we're going to need to be on our best to do it. Like, like all that stuff. Like, oh. so it, it, there's going to be some drive for something that's beyond. Uh, I'm, I'm not motivated by financial return. I'm not. I don't want to be a superhero either. I don't need a cape, right? But I, I need to know that I'm having some level of demonstrable impact that makes the world seemingly better, right? In some way. Um, fourth one is. I was going to say humility, but it's not because that's a bad word. I'm going to buy some time for you to think. I'm covering you, big guy. Isn't it nice seeing you in a podcast thinking about something you haven't spoken about before? Yeah, it's really healthy. Instead of humility, I want to say like I'm um, down to earth, right? I Like if I think about the people I'm interacting with and enjoying right now, there's like a, and I don't mean this in a, in a, in a bad way, like a plain English way they present. Right. There's there's no airs and graces. There's no fluffy long you know, buzzwords. There's no marketing speak. It's just honest, right? From the heart, good intent. Right. So so there's a humility there that that um they don't feel the need for theater or performance. They 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 can, you know, just just communicate in a way that's very accessible. And the and the last one is play. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, so you know, uh, someone who we both know, uh, uh, Ben Crow, and Ben's a good friend as well, and I spent some time with him recently, and and he shared a statement with me the other week, and he's like, some people think the opposite of play is work, and it's not. The opposite of play is fear, and it hit me, hit me really Ooh, hard, I've, really I've, hard. I've never heard Ben say that. Oh, hit hard because because we've been going through a lot of change and there's some angst, and I was moving to part. There's a whole lot of stuff just going on. I'm like, mate, you've just hit me right, like right where it hurts and, and and not in a painful way just in a really confronting and i'm like you're right and he said and and if you if you own up to that and you operate through fear 
we know what happens, right? Bad things happen. So therefore, how do we bring play back in? And again, I've used the word a few times. It's that it's that pre-permission to explore. And so there's a level of trust. You go, I'm, I'm going to give you permission. If you spend all your time exploring, that's not a job. But I'm going to give you, you know, permission at the edges to explore because this hasn't been solved before. So like, go be creative, be playful with it. That, that for me is the best way a leader can demonstrate trust to me. Where they go, Dom, you do you. Here's the sphere I want you to play in. But but in that space, like, get, go to about Here's the outcome. Here's here's the audience. Here's the persona. But like, go, go explore. That that's probably the best way any leader can demonstrate trust to me. And and therefore, the opposite of that is any form of micromanagement or any form of fear immediately extinguishes my flame. And it's not. It doesn't take it from hundred to ninety. It takes it from hundred to naught. In fact, I actually think it takes it to minus something, and I become an absolute pain in the ass. So I, I know how I act when I have fear. So therefore, the opportunity cost of that, I have to have play. I've never heard it put into that same same structure. So I love Ben Crow, big fan of Ben's work. And he's in the career of mine, I call mental skills and sport. Ben's been a game changer because your authenticity, your story, the work he's done with Ash Barty, Steph Gilmore, a whole bunch of others as well. Richmond AFL team. So big shout out to Crowley. But that, 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 that juxtaposition of play and fear, I've never heard oh. that. Never Honestly, mate, is he, he just said it out loud. And, and like you said before, right, you're in a keynote, someone says something, you're like, oh my God, how, like, have you been reading my mind? It was that moment. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm in a fear state right now. And off the back of that, here's the consequences. Bad things are happening. But instead of thinking about the bad things, how do I think about the fear state? Because that's the thing I need to change. Mm. And you know, there's a term that psychologists have studied and validated called play deprivation. So when we wrote the book, uh, match fit, Dr. Tom Buckley and I, we had six levers, move, fuel, recharge, think, connect. And the sixth one I dropped on. And doc, have you met Dr. Tom? Did you meet him when we were at so. PwC, the outside? Tom has been in cardiac. Uh, with, he's an associate professor at Sydney Uni. So he's worked in ICU for 25, 30 years, lectured all around the world, highly intelligent, highly intelligent guy. He did all the research with me and co-wrote MatchFit. We had robust argument, insert discussion, argument about play because he thought it was bullshit. When we dug into the research, I've always been playful and built it into teaching and it's natural. But then you dig into the science. So anyway, there's this psychologist named Stuart Brown who at 89 years of age formed the American Institute of Play. So a psychologist who's gone more below the line, post-World War II, where we focused more on what was wrong rather than Seligman and what was right. And when I dug into that, and then Tom has now come around and I hear him speaking, he talks about play and he gives me a little wink when we're co-presenting together. But I've never heard it around fear. So play with sleep deprivation. So if I asked any of your colleagues when you're traveling, doing keynotes around the world, what's sleep deprivation? Well, you're out of sync with your time zone, your body clock stuff, your suprachiasmatic nucleus, a little P-shaped organ, your brain that drives your circadian rhythm is all over the place. You're irritable, we eat fast foods, you know, we don't have much fun, our sex life goes. So when you look at, okay, what's also play deprivation? A lot of them have the same, which is interesting, Crowe said the opposite of fear, because a lot of those habits or behaviors would be driven by fear. So I think he's onto something. Yeah. So here's, here's just a, a little final comment for you on this one, because I had this reflection in a conversation with someone the other week. I had this moment when I reflected, someone asked me about uh, what, what did my school teachers think I would amount to? And I combined that with, with Ben's conversation on playfulness, because I had this sudden memory that I kept on being referred to as the class clown. And I'm like, I am still. Right. I, I, I almost want to go back to those teachers and go, thank you. 
because you you labeled me correctly you just labeled me incorrectly because you made it sound like a bad thing but the the things that i felt comfortable with around connecting people being the entertainer the conversation right the banter the playfulness in a strict school environment that was deterred and almost beaten out of me but somehow it stuck around long enough to kind of have a resurgence and that's now the thing that keeps me employed and keeps me happy doing the job i do so it's fascinating how I've gone full circle and I've shared this with a group of execs. I'm like, if you've got kids of a school age and you get a report card that they're a bit disruptive and look for these words and class clown with some of them, I'm like, they might have an amazing skill set that you need to tap into. And, and the school environment is not where they're going to thrive with that. Ha, huh, sucked in, miss, mister, missus. Mm. But I just think about it, right? If we want more playfulness in work, the education system is not designed to bring us more playfulness. No, you're talking to the right audience. I could talk to you about play all day. I think we need to do a future podcast on play. So let's do a summary. On the spot, big doms, five attributes of a corporate high performer. Number one is open communication. Two is self-awareness, not in the kitschy type, but someone who mm. really knows themselves. Yeah. It's everything, the full range, right? Yeah. What, what's good, but also what is not good. Drive, drive's a really interesting one. Because I'll often say from a psychology point of view, a chip on the shoulder will get you going. You know, screw the crowd, screw the teacher who told me I couldn't amount to anything, the girlfriend, boyfriend that dropped me. But drive, which is more connected to purpose, will keep you yeah. going. I love that. Yeah, it's more intrinsic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Down to earth, but there's a humility about it. Mm. Um, I'd say a self-deprecation. Yes, that's the phrase I should be looking for. There you go, yeah. And then play, which is the opposite of fear. Mm. Love that. I'd move for them. I'd go anywhere for them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to your LinkedIn post, your future book, your future three-hour workshop slash keynote. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, final one I wanted to talk about, and you threw me at the start when we spoke about this, because I was going to ask you, this might be a boring question. So you've been with Beck and you're marrying Rebecca in April and you got the good Lawrence as your best man. You've got two beautiful twins, Frankie and Cooper. So talk to me about relationships and you throw out intimacy and that the <laughs> first few months in your life was real. So give us some lessons on relationships, because if you look at the statistics, two thirds of marriages now and and they're the ones that are reported because there's a lot of people. Oh God, yeah, like just me, stick around. Like me and my partner, we've been together for eight years, have two kids together, we're not married. So yeah, if we broke up and my tiny, I don't want to break up. I'm just saying this as a story. Uh, we wouldn't be in the statistics. So it's actually a lot higher is the point I'm getting at. So your view, your thoughts on relationships and intimacy. Yeah, so me, me and Becca did a weird thing. So we, we met, I was in quarantine when we met. I just returned from the UK, right? Uh, a whole lot of life stuff that that we'll talk about another time. They'd gone on that had online, this, online, yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. We'd met online. Um, uh, I was in in quarantine in a Sydney hotel. Uh, anyway, we, we finally went on a date and date two and date three. But very early on, we had this conversation where we're like, hey, should we go through like most of our exes and talk about like what worked in those relationships and what didn't? Let's just let's let's unpack all our history and collectively and be like, not make it a taboo. And, and then earlier, we were like, let's have a sober date where we just hang out and see if we like each other without a drink, right? All this stuff, which normally you wait till month three or month six, and you're like, okay, we should probably hang out and see if we like each other. We did that early on. And we're like, we still like each other. Then we had like, pause, what's pause, gone wrong in previous? Pause, pause, pause. pause. I just think, like, 
And I'm looking at Shannon as well, and I'm sure there's a number of men and women, because, you know, hello, welcome, we're, we're not in the 70s anymore, so men and women do have sex in their previous relationships, but I'm just thinking, well, do you pull out an Excel spreadsheet and just, like, go down your tabs and go, okay? No, it's just spontaneity. Like, we, we just sat there one night, it's like, I don't know, like, I'd said something about an ex, and then she'd said something about one of her exes, and I'm like, hey, should we just, like, should we just cover all that now? Like, why not? And, and by the way, if we're not comfortable talking about that, that might be an issue for us. Going forward, like, here's this nugget that if we solve it today, is a non-issue, it's gone. But if we don't, in three years, it's going to rear its ugly head when when someone mentions an ex that you've not mentioned. And they talk, and I'm like, I never heard about it. Like, the, the, the repercussions are way higher if we don't do it. So solid, let's do it. And if it doesn't work out, we'll just find someone else to be with. You never told me about Pedro, the bilingual yeah. Spanish flamenco dancer that owned a mountain on top of the valley and owned all of the olives in the... <laughs> he was just a really nice guy. Anyway, so, so we, we did all that kind of non-traditional stuff and then it started to build this momentum. And, and early on, we had a conversation where Becca shared, she's like, one of the things that I think, you know, she said she struggled with in previous relationships was communication. So I was like, cool, what does that smell like and look like and feel like and how did it happen? And so once we'd surfaced those things, we knew each other's Achilles heels. So you then got a choice. I could either use this to destroy you or use this to build a better relationship. And so when the kids came along, our communication really got tested. So we started communicating differently. We're like, we know that's the thing that can go wrong because it has gone wrong before. How do we load in different rituals to stop that from going wrong? So one of our rituals was, the calmest time in the house was like 7 p.m. Both kids are on a bottle, right? They're being fed. The lights are down. There's no music. That's our because because we can't be on our phones. So let's just talk. How's your day? What's what's on for tomorrow? What's happening next week? What's worked today? What didn't? Okay, how can I help with that? And we'd have that conversation. We're like, oh, this is cool. One of those early conversations that came up was around intimacy because. Because as a young young couple, I'm in my 40s, but as a newish couple, we'd only been together for two and a bit years when we fell pregnant with the kids. Intimacy had been a huge part of our life, and not just sex, but intimacy, the, the cuddles, the hugs, the time together. I, I was just, so just going to interject for any bloke who thinks, oh, intimacy is when you've got your clothes off. And, 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 no, intimacy all, all is all what, things. what leads to that, but it's also the, oh. it's the connection. The, I, I, look, disclosure, forgive me, Father, I have sinned. I still think I am on a journey learning that intimacy is not intercourse. Oh, yeah. And, and that's never ending, right? That, that, that's just like a constant learning curve. But for us, that became a profound learning curve when it was off the cards. Like, like here's the physical things going on right now post-pregnancy that, that take that. So does it take it all out or some of it? And then how do you, anyway, if we hadn't have communicated about that, that would have become a taboo, would have become an issue. There would have been resentment, all the things that build up from that. So we just spoke about it. And it's fascinating because you speak about it, and you're like, oh, there you go. I feel a lot better sometimes just for speaking about it. We've not solved anything, but just by sharing our feelings and emotions, suddenly you feel a bit better. And we've now loaded that in with, with way more stuff. And so that over-communication has now become our default style, which is fascinating when you think that communication probably cost or, or, or negatively impacted many of her previous relationships. Do you see what you've done there? Not entirely, but I'm sure you're going to tell me because you've been listening. I have been listening and I love it. If I look back at the start of the interview, I wanted to build a connection with Samantha, with Benny, with Lawrence. So mm. it wasn't the normal, hey, so tell mm. me, why do you do yeah. work? And then we did go into the work stuff and you're really passionate about it and I love it. Mm. And then you spoke about why it pisses you off when people have these antiquated, outdated views that is <laughs> in boxes. And then we spoke about the playbook and you put playbooks together, and I love it, and you share it with everyone. 
Yeah. And then, then we, we spoke about your high performers on the spot. I love the five attributes of a high performer. And then we've come back to this. You've created a playbook. Mm. You, you and Beck have created a playbook. Yeah. And I've never thought about doing this for a relationship. So I'm now waiting for it to be written and shared because I think, I think there's so much value and richness in that. So it's funny you mentioned that. So I, I wrote two blogs. My two most popular blogs on LinkedIn this year were about the kids. One was about paternity leave and one was about a trip we took back to the UK with the kids and what we'd learned from that, right? And I put it out there for other dads and for mums, but mainly for dads to go, here's my experience as a dad. And it's different to being a mum, but it's not better or worse, just different. And explain that. And the amount of feedback I got from people going, thank you for sharing that. It helped me with this. It helped me with that. And I was just sharing it more for shits and giggles. I just enjoy writing and it's cathartic and getting out there. But suddenly you realize that one of the things I realized, first of all, we don't talk about this stuff enough, right? So men don't talk about intimacy. We don't talk about friendships. There's some horrible stat about the number of guys in their 40s and 50s that haven't got close friends that they can talk to about stuff. So all that stuff compounds. So we need to demonstrate, we need to role model that. And the second one is, when people think about playbook, they think published, stamped, final. And you're like, oh, no, as you said, you've not finished on your intimacy journey and you never will be. So the playbook is evolving. And that's the bit we don't get, that, that as you add something, you retire something and you tweak it over time. Yeah, love it. There are so many more questions and little narrow nooks and crannies we could dive into. I'm going to wrap it up. I've thoroughly enjoyed today. It's not like I finished most podcasts and go, that was really <laughs> shit. <laughs> but you've brought yourself to it. You've brought mm. a freshness to it. I've really enjoyed the dance Thank and you. just seeing the I've way you the think and, and process. So mm. I'm going to uh, borrow a leaf from Adam Grant because Holly Ransom told me, uh, she's interviewed Adam, the wonderful Holly Ransom, has spoken to Adam three or four times and Amantha did the same. So I want to use the feedback loop question. And then we're going to do a call out so people can book you and turn up and do your wonderful workshops and keynotes and everything else you do. So the, the feedback loop, on the spot, one, what, what, have you, what do you feel has worked about the interview today? And, and second, what could I have done or what could I do to improve? I think the best thing that worked was the, the fact that we did non-traditional topics. Like we, 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 the, the dance, your, your word, the dance, right? There's the, the pre-rehearsed, these are the five questions I'm going to ask them anyway. Uh, I'm asleep by question three, right? Versus the, hang on, I want to pick up on something you said there like, and, 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 and do that. I enjoyed, to, just on that, I enjoyed watching you think in the process. and then Yeah, that was, that was it's great. A, it's actually I, now, it's, it's, it's nice it's to be stumped. Open communication, yeah, self-awareness, drive, yeah. down to earth and play. Yeah, no, it's not, it's nice to do that. And then I think the thing that we failed at, Andrew, is we've been chatting for an hour and a half and there's no chance anyone's still listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you cynic. You know, we look at the stats. If it's a topic, and this is, I learned this from Tim Ferriss. Never met Tim, but he's a legend. He said as well, if you've got a topic that people are interested in, Mm. So with you, Dom, yeah. your profile, well, I don't know what we're going to call this, but it's very different from what I would have called it. Interesting. Have a look at the title. We were going to call it The Future of Work and Where We Are Heading. Attributes. We, we didn't even talk about the future of work. No, no, we didn't. Which is fascinating. So I'm a work futurist and we didn't cover that, which I'm fine with because I'm like, I talk about that all the time. But also that wasn't where the conversation took us. So, so it's fine. Improvement. What could have I done better? I think we could have been sharper. We could have kept to time. We could have maybe had less topics. And then, yeah, that's probably it. Where do people find you, book you? Um, if they want to book me, my wonderful agent, Keith, Inspired Speakers, uh, or you can just go on donprice.me, my website. All the information's on there. 
Uh, but, but the wonderful Keith and his, the team at Inspire Speakers look after on my events. And just to be doubly clear for anyone still listening, 100% of the net fee to one of those three charities, not a cent hits my pocket, uh, and we get to deliver goodness to the world as well as tell stories and do workshops. In case anyone's listening and, and they do need a, a state shift because they're totally engaged with your message, Dom, you do pay Dom. He does charge. Dom then gives the money yeah. to one of his three charities. Just Very true. Want to clarify, yeah. so we don't have people going, "Hey, freebie, mate." Here's my charity. Yeah. Uh, Dom, I've loved the conversation today. We'll definitely get you on next week, mate. Have a wonderful, wonderful break, and we'll chat soon. Mate, carry on doing what you're doing. Some uh, very important topics there, and the more we have this conversation, the better we all get. Yeah, Lawrence was totally wrong. Totally wrong <laughs> about you. <laughs> but that was awesome. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Shannon here, Andrew's business manager and producer of the podcast. We've had the conversation with Dom and I'm here with Andrew to reflect on the episode. It's the end of the year. It's always crazy this time. Andrew's out busy delivering keynotes and doing his mental skills program. So I've got him here now in the car and we're going to chat about the episode. So Andrew. Hello, Shannon, or as you're affectionately now called in our podcast, Frosty or Mrs. Wizard or the female wizard. Hey, what an episode with Dom Price. I'm often asked, do we record the reflection straight after? Or you record it after you've listened to, and the answer is both. Depends on what we've got on. Sometimes depends on the episode, and that was so rich, so robust, so raw. I'm rolling with the alliterations of the art with Dom. We decided to have a bit of a gap to have a day or two and come back, and so now is the time to reflect. So, Frosty, I have a observation or two on this uh reflection and i have a gratitude activity but do you want to start first yeah i'm curious to see what you think because i feel like i know what you're gonna what you're gonna bring but i i had a bit of a think this morning about it and there's a couple of things dom said that really surprised me like it went against everything i'd been hearing for years what i was taught as a young child so i have three of them i want to i want to reflect on one was he said, you know, companies should hire talent that adds to your culture, not fits into it. And I feel like I've always heard this idea of culture fit, culture fit. So that just sort of lights went off in my brain a little bit when he said that. So there's a couple of things there. I, I can remember looking at you and your brain was like, it doesn't compute. I could see you writing down furiously. Yeah. So just a couple of things he said that, I, that just like light bulbs went off. The second one was business books don't tell you how to apply knowledge, storytelling and experience does. And again, I'm like, what? Why have I been reading all these business books? Please everyone keep reading MatchFit and, and keep reading the business books that Dr. <laughs> Tom and I are gonna produce next year called Performance Intelligence. But apart from that, yeah, think more about conversations. We had a nice, robust conversation on that. And I mentioned Nigel Marsh talking about business books, business books, who moved my cheese? And he said, who the fuck cares? Look, I think the right book at the right time with the right narrative for the right person can really make a difference. So I, I like what Dom was saying though. He's challenging that, hey, we're gonna fix a problem by giving everyone a book. No, you don't. You fix a problem by having a conversation and stepping back and looking at the complex adaptive systems and networks. And then what I love about that, he said, but storytelling and giving people a narrative, a really clear narrative amongst all the chaos and the noise. So yeah, it was a beautiful message that one. Yeah, yeah, he's so passionate about storytelling. And then the third was how he talks about you shouldn't measure time and productivity. We should be measuring energy. And this is something you, you, you taught me and you talk about a lot, but it was just another great reminder and something 
we're always beaten and you should be measuring your time and productivity and they don't really go hand in hand together. And I was going to jump in at that stage, but then I remembered, no, I'm not here to market. I'm here to interview a really engaging, intelligent guy about his story. But that's why we have at Stride Strong with a Live Life score because we measure energy. And again, I looked at you at that and you're like, oh, he's talking our language. <laughs> yeah. And the um, the other thing that I loved that, I, that just really resonated with me was when you talked about how what work what the concept of work when he was a child and I had the same experience work was this idea of something you hated doing and I was always told enjoy your life as a kid now because once you start working it's all downhill from there and you have two weeks off a year and then I got to being an adult and I realized you know it's all about the opportunities you make so I, I love that story he told there's so much info and it was not what we actually spoke about. You know, it wasn't, hey, point A, point B, point C, linear. But in Dom's way, it all flowed together, high energy. And even during the podcast, you remember I said, hey, let's breathe. I got him breathing a little bit. That was more for me because my monkey brain was jumping all over the place. I was so excited, so engaged. I thought, I need to slow down so I can make sure I get back into asking some of the questions that I really wanted to ask. Yeah, and so I want to know what you think. So I feel like I have a feeling of what you really enjoyed from the conversation, but tell me what you took away. Oh, we're going to go deeper. What what do you think that I took out? I'm actually curious. What did you think? You know me really well now. I feel like you really enjoyed challenging Dom about keynote speaking and the keynote speaking world. Because I could see you challenging him. I could see the dance going on there. And I feel like you would have enjoyed pushing his buttons a little bit. I did enjoy that and pushing his buttons in a nice way where you have some robust dialogue rather than asking static questions and serve answer, serve answer. I did, but that wasn't one of the ones I put down. Okay, okay. Tell me then what it is. Frosty, I was thinking about this early this morning when I went for a swim and I've got four things and you're probably shocked because you know I love odd numbers. I love threes and fives and sevens, but the four different parts or four different reflections I had on the discussion with Don Price. One, it was it was more a gratitude and appreciation. I'll explain that to you. Uh, two and three were goals. I had uh, an approach goal, some areas I wanted Don to talk about, and I had an avoidant goal. I didn't want Don to talk about the same things he's spoken about multiple times. And I really liked that he picked up on that and he appreciated that. And the fourth one was an observation. He's just a rock star. So first of all, the gratitude exercise or the appreciation. I was really appreciative of the job you did because what a lot of people don't know is at time of recording, the wizard has COVID and we are following COVID guidelines and he's at home. Poor wizard, he didn't sound great, but he was helping you behind the scenes set up. But you set up the tech, you recorded the tech and it's bloody technical. If anyone has any idea what it's like to set up audio and we video everything just to make it more technical so we can amplify that on our YouTube channel and put together some of the videos. And also it forms part of our other corporate programs as well. So you did an amazing job. So Shannon, I was really appreciative and grateful of you stepping in, having such a growth mindset. I know your little monkey brain was like, shit, shit, shit. But you did a great job. You were calm under pressure. So well done to you. Thank you. And I have a, a big appreciation for the wizard now with, with all the well, tech stuff. I was going to say, hey, Wiz, don't, don't think we're going to replace you, mate. We are, you realize, don't you? We need when you. You're a small team like us or a, a, a tightly run machine. But when one of the cogs is not there, I love that you could step in and keep that moving. But it also shows the 
technical expertise the wizard has got. But we talk about the wizard enough, so let's keep it on you. You did an amazing job. Thank you. Two goals. So I had two goals. One was an avoidant goal and the other one was an approach goal for any psych or any friends who are really into the goal setting theory and research. The avoidant goal I had is I didn't want to have the same discussion with Don that he's had over and over again about the same things. It was interesting during the discussion, he even said, we haven't talked about the future of work. We, we spoke a little bit at the start, just that report that came out from the consulting firm and a few other things, but we didn't talk about what he normally talks about. And I really enjoyed that. So that was the avoidant goal I had, which was to not have the same conversations with Dom. And he said, he does that, he does it really well, but you could hear the shift as well. And the approach goal I had is I wanted to talk about some different topics. And so we put Dom on the spot and how well did he handle that or how well did he respond when I asked him on the spot drum roll, what do you think are the five attributes of a corporate super performer? And I love the change in pace. If you're listening to this now, just reflect back on that. When Dom was talking about you know, those topics at the start of the interview that he normally talks about, there was a real cadence and a pace and an energy. And then when we shifted to that, you could actually hear him thinking and slow down and there was a real shift. So that were my two goals, Frosty. The avoidant goal was to not have the same discussion Dom has had dozens and dozens of times. And the approach goal was to open up a different form of discussion. So when he said that, he enjoyed talking about something different and being challenged. It made me happy. It ticked both of my goal boxes. Sounds like we both hit our goals then. I nailed the tech and you nailed the interview. Very happy. Oh, I think you're always <laughs> learning, always growing. Uh, I, I think you do a good interview when you've got really good talent. So I'm going to give all that credit to Dom. And then when you are open to asking questions and not sticking to a running sheet. And that's a learning that I've definitely made this year is to have a guide, but then run with the person and what they talk about. And I think you get a much more interesting discussion. Hey, and my observation is, He's a bloody rock star. Uh, I've known Dom for a while. We've got some mutual friends operating the same keynote space and you know, been at multiple conferences over the years. But just when you see his brain work and the experience he's got, Shannon, it was just a delight to have that chat with him and, and see. So I, I look at him when I put on my keynote speaking hat or probably broader, but the one commonality Dom and I said offline is we're communicators. So I communicate through a podcast. I communicate through keynote speaking. We communicate a message through Stride Stronger. I communicate to coaches and athletes on mental skills. So I'm regularly, and you know, thinking about what message do we deliver? How do we deliver that to a bunch of footballers, to a boxer? How do I deliver that to a bunch of CEOs or a whole bunch of people in, in military and defense? So for me, I felt like it was a masterclass with Dom on how you communicate and still and tell stories and he's just so good at storytelling and communicating so it was again it was a joy to see that in action yeah and a cherry on top learning that he donates all of his speaking fees to charities he's just is such a great guy yeah what a great guy and he's openly said that on previous discussions i've heard him say in podcasts and public forums that he does well with his job so the keynote speaking money, he wants to give that back to those three charities, which is awesome. Hey, the other thing, and it is aligned with what you said, you know, with that disruption, with Dom not doing just keynotes and actually doing the bigger workshops, I'm really curious to see in 12 months where his energy's at. I really appreciate he said he was not feeling the love for keynotes. 
Anyone who's spoken for a number of years will just go, I've been there, I've been there a few times. But I do find when you reinvent and you're challenging yourself and doing different things, it lights up that spark again. So yeah, really curious to come back and see where Dom is at in 12 months and what his balance is like between keynotes and workshops. And who knows, maybe there'll be even some other different forms of delivery. Yeah, it'd be good to do a bit of an update with him or have him back on the podcast and close that loop. Let's just get him back. I just love talking to him. So we'll we'll get him back and talk about whatever he's doing in six months or more to get, get the big fella back on to light everybody up. Okay, awesome. Well, I can hear I can hear you're on your way. So maybe we'll wrap this up, and you can head off to your next meeting. You're wrapping me up, yeah. This time of year for me, with our sports conditioning, so launching mental skills programs for Manly Seagulls, launching a leadership program and mental skills for the New South Wales Waratahs. So it's a busy but a really exciting time of year. So you got me in the car. Well done. I'm, I'm not needed. You and Wiz just run the podcast now. Get me in every now and then. Well, Andrew, be careful what you wish for. That might just come true.